Today, we are finishing our series on praying with fire. These are fires that burn in our heart passionately to do God's will, but they aren't safe. They aren't safe, they're dangerous prayers. So today, we are going to end our series with the most fiery and dangerous prayer of all. It's the one that can get everyone really angry at the preacher. And by the way, Pastor Glenn is on vacation this weekend. Didn't occur to me until yesterday that the two things could be related. <laughs> but how many of you think that Pastor Glenn and Elaine deserve a couple of days off once in a while? What a great pastor we have. Let me tell you, he is a wonderful, wonderful friend, and he has been my pastor for many years. I love him. So this is a difficult message. I'm gonna ask for your mercy and love today as we express this. So this is gonna take us to the next level in our walk with Jesus, I really believe. What we pray, so much of what we pray is safe. Good, but safe. Predictable, you know, give me peace, Lord, all my circumstances, they work out so there's no trouble. Protect me, protect us, protect my family, Lord. Bless me. I'd really like to be blessed with this thing, with that thing, with this circumstance. And we all pray these prayers. God loves it to hear our heart to pray for these things because it's a child asking for, for good things. Thalia and I, my wife, we pray these kinds of prayers at night. God, please give our children the desire to speak, I don't know, four different languages, play at least three different musical instruments, I pray, Lord, that you would give at least one of them a strong interest in ancient history so that dad has something to talk about with them when they become adults. I mean, give them college scholarships in a few years, Lord. Uh, just make everything work out for us. But we believe that right now it is time to move beyond just safe prayers. We're gonna start praying with fire. So. A lot of times, you know, when there's difficulties and circumstances around us, there are Christians, they pull back. They can just kind of get into a safe place and they don't want to pray anything that could disrupt their lives. But we can't afford to do that right now. Right now, I believe it is time to press in and to quit praying only safe prayers. The world needs hope. Our friends, they need hope. Our family, they need hope. So we have the hope of the world living inside of us, don't we? And his name is Jesus. His name is Jesus. So people, they're searching. I believe that this is the perfect opportunity to get serious about our faith and our walk with Jesus. Uh, as we've been going through these dangerous prayers, week one was Pastor Glenn shared, make me bold. That's a dangerous prayer, isn't it? Make me bold, Lord. Make me bold in sharing your love and sharing the gospel. Pastor Andrew did a great job sharing that very dangerous prayer. Speak to me, Lord. I'm listening. Your servant is listening because after all, what's God going to say? But boy, what a life-changing prayer that is. And then last week, Pastor Glenn preached one that's very hard to pray. Lord, break my heart. Break my heart. Not break my heart in the sense of like when you lose a relationship that matters, but Break my heart for the things that break your heart. Let me feel 
what you feel, Lord. Let me care about the things that you care about. Today, we have a very challenging prayer, but it's got the potential to redirect our lives. So let's pray right now. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that we can enter into your courts with thanksgiving, that we can enter into your house with open hearts to receive what your word has to teach us. And I pray, Father, that you would work within us to make the changes necessary that we can pray these prayers with fire. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so I'm gonna take you to the book of Psalms today. This prayer is a prayer that's word for word from the book of Psalms. David, uh, who wrote this particular psalm, was facing persecution uh, from the enemies of God, and some of these enemies of God were also his enemies, and they were accusing David of not really being faithful to the Lord. And so David, in the course of this psalm, it's Psalm 139, this is a magnificent work of art, this psalm, it is just absolutely beautiful. We're gonna focus in on the last two verses of this psalm, verses 23 and 24, it's his dangerous prayer. Search me, God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. Yeah, that's, that's a rough one isn't it, to pray. So I'm gonna, I'm gonna nerd out for a couple of minutes here if that's okay with you. Um, I just like to do this. One of my favorite parts of scripture is the poetry of scripture. It's absolutely beautiful to me. Psalms, that's a book of poems. Proverbs, uh, it's poetry. The book of Job is poetry and then it's, it's, you know, Song of Solomon is poetry and it's throughout the scriptures and other places but this is, Hebrew poetry is so beautiful and it's so unique, it's different. I remember in Bible college taking his class on the poetical books and they introduced me to this word that is like a you know, Bible college nerd word, but I'm gonna give it to you to help describe how Hebrew poetry works. And the word is parallelism, parallelism. And this describes, you ever been reading the Psalms or the Proverbs and you're like, you read one line and you read the next and you're like, that's kind of saying the same thing. Why is it so repetitive? It's like there's, you know, love the Lord and the Lord you should love. I mean, why, you know, why is it so repetitive? And then you kind of see the same thing here. Search me, God, know my heart, test me, know my anxious thoughts. I mean, it's a little different, but why does it have to be so repetitive? Hebrew poetry uses this technique to rhyme ideas. Sometimes in the English language, our classic poems rhyme words, right? Like sounds. Roses are red, violets are blue, sugar is sweet, and so are you, right? But the Hebrew poetry doesn't do that. Instead of trying to rhyme words, it rhymes ideas. So if I were creating a Hebrew-style poem, ancient Hebrew poem, using modern language, I might compose something like, a sandwich is a tasty thing. Peanut butter and jelly are delicious. Right? The second line connects to the first. It, it expands on the first, but it's connected. Or sometimes in Hebrew poetry it says the opposite thing. It's called antithetical parallelism, for those of you who want to know. So 
Here's my composition. <clears throat> a soft croissant is a delight to the lips, but stale bread is a gluten catastrophe. <laughs> you see how it works, though? I mean, it's really cool. And if we look at verses 23 and 24, search me and know, is how the verse 23 starts, search me and know, and then test me and know. They're connected. So the word search here in, in, the, in, the, in verse 24, discover offense, or see what's offensive, discover offense, guide in eternity. So he's got this beautiful, beautiful language here because the word search in the Hebrew kind of has the connotation of like you're digging around for something. So I want you to get this illustration. The wording here he uses like you're digging for something and you find something metallic and shiny. You've discovered something. And then you're gonna, you've, you've discovered it. So search, discover. Test, which means you're refining it, you're burning it, right, to see if it's real gold or not. And then when you do, what happens when you burn something? You get smoke. And then it says, and then guide us in eternal ways. The word guide there is the same word that's hyperlinked back to Exodus 13, the word guide used for the pillar of smoke that guides the children of Israel through the wilderness. So you see in this testing process, he's that pillar of smoke that is gonna guide you through your wilderness. It's so cool, it's so beautiful. Anyway, that's just, that's the nerd stuff. But when I was in this class and they're teaching these things, the teacher did something kind of scandalous, shocking. The teacher of my biblical poetry class said we're gonna do something different for tonight's homework. I don't want you to study it tonight, I want you to pray it. So these two verses in Psalm 139, the teacher said, I want you to pray these two verses tonight. So I'm like, oh, okay, well that's you know, fine, easy homework. And I go to bed at the dorm, and I'm getting you know, sleepy before I close my eyes. I'm like, search me and know my heart, test me, know my anxious thoughts. And my eyes popped open. And these anxious thoughts started coming right to me. He was answering my prayer. And one of my anxious thoughts at that time, I was a 17-year-old Bible college student, was, wait a minute, what if people find out who I really am? I've only been saved a couple of years. I mean, who I really am is that 14-year-old kid reading science fiction and sitting there reading the Lord of the Rings trilogy for the fourth time. You know, that's you know, who I am and that I'm just, I'm, maybe I'm only pretending to be a Bible student now. Maybe, and what if they figure out, see they had this idea of Bible colleges, this kid, he has a 3.0 grade point average but he's got these high test scores. He must be some sort of prodigy. But I knew that in ninth and 10th grade, I was a very bad student. I mean, I didn't do anything, nothing. I didn't study. I didn't study for my tests, I didn't do projects, I didn't do papers, nothing. So I would get Fs, you know, all my, you know, quarterly grades, and then when it came for the semester, I would study for the final exam. But I only had to study a week, and I would ace it, and then I would pass the class, right? I went with a D, but I would pass, and they moved me on to the next grade. So that stopped when I got saved, but I'm still, I'm like, 
maybe they're, they're gonna find out, you know, what kind of student I really am. I was anxious. I didn't understand how dangerous a prayer this was, bringing my anxieties up. And then I was praying verse 24, see if there is any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. I don't even wanna start with that. I mean, it's like, uh uh-oh, offensive ways? We don't really have to look very long to find offensive ways in us, do we? So it's like, why would I pray this? I mean, I don't want God to look at those things. I want him to look at somebody else's offensive ways. In fact, if God starts to look at my offensive ways, I want to be like, yeah, but, but God, look at them. Right? That's my nature. So as much as this message is for you, it's also for me. Because if we allow it, this prayer will revolutionize our lives. We're going to break it down into four parts, okay? This is how David starts. He starts with God search my heart, and that's where we start. Point one, search my heart. And it's from verse 23, the first part, search me, God, and know my heart. So there's a big problem that I see today, and the problem is that people think that they're better than they actually are. And we say things like this about other people. We say, yeah, but she's got a good heart, right? We say that about ourselves sometimes. You know, I mean, but I've got a good heart. I mean well. What people fail to realize is the Bible says something about our hearts. You wanna know what it is? Okay, thank you, you wanna know. I'm just speaking to you right now. It's Jeremiah chapter 17, verse nine. The human heart is the most deceitful of all things and desperately wicked. Who really knows how bad it is? So we were all born with this deceitful bent to our hearts. It's like our sin nature. We're inclined to sin. We're inclined to selfishness. We're, we're all, okay, so this, we'll just have a little exercise here. Um, this is participation exercise. So if you have ever in your life told a lie, raise your hand. And, and those of you who didn't raise your hand, guess what you're doing right now? So you qualify, we're all, you know. So here, here I'm gonna do the preacher thing right now, so everybody turn to your socially distanced neighbor and just say, you're a liar. No, you, you don't have to do that. It's like, you don't have to do, but it's true, right? It's true. So. The, the most common lies that we tell, I've found, are lies that we tell ourselves. Like, you know, I, I never eat carbs. <laughs> Why are you laughing? Or have you ever heard somebody say, I don't lust. I just appreciate the beauty of the human form. <laughs> it's just art appreciation, really. God's creation. Or someone say, I am not materialistic. I just like nice things. Okay, this is my favorite. My favorite is, I do not gossip. I just want people to know what's going on so they can pray. (laughs) So, (laughs) Lord, show me. Show me where there's things in me. Let me not be deceptive to myself about what's wrong. Show me what I need to do. So yesterday, I was praying this prayer yesterday evening. 
Um, I was saying, search me, God, if there's any offensive way in me, and I was on a walk in the neighborhood behind our apartment complex, and while I was walking in this little cul-de-sac area on the other side of the cul-de-sac, there was an elderly lady yesterday who was walking, had long sleeves on. It was very hot, it was funny. And she's, and she's holding one of those canes with the four things at the bottom. She's walking very slow. I don't know how old she was, 170, I don't know. But she, she was elderly, sweet lady. But as I'm walking my side praying, I prayed, show me my heart, Lord. It's, you know, show me. And what God showed me is sometimes I care more about what other people think than what God thinks. This is the impression he laid on my heart as I was praying. And as I got that, I just stopped right where I was. I was like, oh. And this nice lady saw me. And she, so I hear her voice saying, are you all right, young man? And so where did my mind go? My mind went to, she called me young man. <laughs> she thinks I'm a young man. So my mind got off of what God was trying to show me and onto what somebody thought of me, which was what God was trying to tell me I cared too much about. He was illustrating as I was praying. Isn't that, it's a little wild, isn't it? When we pray, search me, God, and know my heart, God will show us. So we've got to be ready. Now, I want, I want to be clear about something. We're not talking about God showing you the things you did in the past to mess up. That's not what's going on here. Because he doesn't show you that. You know why? He's forgiven them and thrown them in the sea of forgetfulness. So this is, when, when, when it's people bringing up the stuff you did a year ago, three years ago, five years ago, eight years ago, 31 years ago, that's usually family <laughs> or, you know, friends or, you know, spouses or Satan, right, that, that bring up the past to, you know, to make you feel bad about the present. But this is, this is, and so don't do that to people. Please, please don't do that to people. But what God does is instead he shows us what needs to be worked on right now. And he holds us through this process. It's not like, go fix this. It's like, let me work on you. Let me do my thing. Search my heart was number one. The second thing, reveal my fears. Reveal my fears. So verse 23, search me, God, know my heart. But this parallel phrase, test me and know my anxious thoughts. What makes you anxious? What are you afraid of? I'm not talking about phobias, okay? I'm not talking about snakes or enclosed spaces or spiders. I worked with a friend of mine for, uh, for years who had a real distaste for spiders, a real distaste. I remember one day at work, I had to go into the warehouse area, and it was me, I was in the warehouse, and I opened up this door into this other section, and this hand-sized, giant, hairy wolf spider fell from the top of the door onto my head, down in between my glasses and my eye, and then down my body. And I mean, I'm not particularly afraid of, of spiders, but I mean, it was freaky. So when I got done, I went up and told my friend. And as I'm telling him, I, he's like ready to pass out. I was watching him like turn white. In fact, I'm noticing that 
in this room a little bit. Um, some people ready to pack. So, but we're not talking about that kind of fear. We're talking about the fear of things like maybe you're afraid to be stuck in a bad marriage so you're not getting to know people. Maybe you've got a fear of rejection so you just don't try. Maybe a fear of failure so it's just better to stay as things are. You don't want to try anything new. Maybe a fear of success because, you know, what if that puts more pressure on you? Maybe a fear of intimacy or a fear of the unknown or a fear of loss. Then why, do the, why does it matter what I fear? Why does God care? Why ask God to show me my anxious thoughts? I'm gonna just live with it. It's very important why, because what we fear the most reveals where we trust God the least. If your fear is of losing your marriage, it's because your trust for God in that area isn't strong. If you're fearing not having enough, you're, then it means that you don't trust God as your provider. Or the fear of something happening to a child, if you're not trusting God with your children. And I, this, is, this is my you know, sensitive spot here. Trusting God to keep my children safe is a rough thing. I started to have dreams after, right after the birth of my oldest child about one of my kids being near a lake and then an alligator jumping out and grabbing. Right? So I have these dreams, and I haven't had it in years, but I used to have them, right, every once in a while. So you can guess where my children don't go, right? They don't go around, now salt water's fine, I never had a shark dream. But fresh water, you cannot go anywhere near rivers or lakes, not in Florida. So, <laughs> you know, and this was made worse about five years ago. Do you remember that story in the news at the Disney property? I was there uh, for a work conference. I was there. I, was, I didn't see the event, but I saw the aftermath and parents wailing. And I mean, I was just involved in it all. So that made this fear much worse in me. So it's a part where I don't trust God as much. So at youth camp a couple of weeks ago, there was no pool. All the water games were in this freshwater lake. And my daughter Gwendolyn loves going in the water. She's 12. And she's going in the water. I mean, it's socially distanced, which I'm not sure was good for me, thinking about this. There were lifeguards, there's a park ranger, right? I mean, there's like all kinds of safe. But I'm like hyperventilating. And God's like, you need to trust me with your daughter. She's not gonna get eaten by an alligator. And I'm happy to report she did not. She did not get eaten by an alligator. But you see what I'm saying? It's my heart, it's my anxious thoughts. Search me, know my anxious thoughts. I had a fear and anxiety about going from full-time business to full-time ministry. Bivocational was great for me, I could do both because then I could rely on my own efforts to, for income, right? Because when you're in full-time ministry, you're relying upon contributions. What if nobody contributes? What, what if, worse, because ministry, what if I, I could be forgetful? What if I forget something and let somebody down? Like on Sunday morning, Sunday morning, I'm not gonna remember what you tell me. I, I'm just not. So there's sometimes 
40, 50, 60 people say, hey, there's this issue that maybe you can address this week, and it's, it's not happening, I'm sorry, because I'm a little forgetful, and it's Sunday. So what if I let somebody down? What if my kids stop laughing at my jokes? That's an anxiety. And at the root of all this fear is the fear of not being enough. Well, God showed me this, that I should never fear failure more than I trust the love of God. I should never. There's no fear in love. Perfect love casts out all fear. God has not given us a spirit of fear, but a power of love and of a sound mind. So yes, I am going to trust God with taking care of my family. Even if I fail, he's not gonna fail. He loves my family. He loves my family even more than I do. Search my heart, reveal my fears. Third, this is the big one. Take a deep breath. Uncover my sins. Uncover my sins. I told you this would be a difficult message. Don't hate me. So he says in verse 24, see if there is any offensive way in me. And the reason that we ask God to show us this is because it is very hard to see our own sins. It's easy to see other people's sins. That's no problem. I mean, think about arrogance, right? When we're arrogant, we're like, no, I'm not, no. No, I'm just, no. But when you see somebody else being arrogant, it's like blazingly obvious, right? Now that's like other sins too. We tend to excuse ourselves while accusing others. And Jesus had something to say about this in Luke chapter six, verse 42. He writes, how can you think of saying, friend, let me help you get rid of that speck in your eye when you can't see past the log in your own eye? Hypocrite. First get rid of the log in your own eye and then you will see well enough to deal with the speck in your friend's eye. So early on, uh, when I was first ordained and I was in my 20s, one of the weddings that I did, I was at the reception of this wedding because I was asked to pray over something. And there's a point in the wedding reception, of course, where they do toasts. And this is toasting the bride. And I'm looking, I'm very careful about, the Bible doesn't say you can never have a glass of wine. But especially as a minister, it's not a good idea, especially in public, because you can cause somebody to stumble, right? To drink any kind of alcohol. And so I'm looking, and my glass of water is gone. I drank it all. I just did the wedding. And there's a little bit of champagne there, that one of those little glasses, and they're toasting the bride. What do I do? So I'm like, I can either offend the bride, or I can risk somebody getting a, uh, you know what? I'm just gonna touch it to my lips. So toast, you know, amen. Well, sure enough, this guy wanders over like this. He's like, hey, preacher, I thought the minister is never allowed to let a drop of alcohol touch the lips. You're a hypocrite. <laughs> I'm like, I'm just sitting there, and I didn't know what to do. I'd never been confronted like this. And so I just said the first thing that came out of my mouth. I didn't even think about it. I said, it's okay, I grew up Catholic. <laughs> I'm, I'm sorry. Well, if, you, if you're Catholic or you grew up Catholic, then, you know, we were like, you understand. But, so, and you know his reaction was? His reaction was, oh, 
I'm sorry, I didn't know, Father. <laughs> I said, it's okay, bless you, my son. But anyway, the whole thing was just messed up. But, but you see how he, there, was a little, there was a log in his eye and he was pointing out the speck in mine. We're so quick to judge. But if we are to judge, it should begin and end right here. That's where it should. In order to see, to let God see if there's any offensive way in us, this is what we should ask ourselves. First of all, what are others trying to tell me? Two or more people. Just one person trying to tell you something, it's not, it's not enough. Two or more people. Secondly, what have I been rationalizing for some time? Maybe, you know, I can handle this on my own. I can cope. It's not hurting anyone. And third, where am I most defensive? Where am I most defensive? Somebody brings something up and immediately I get in defense mode. I don't know, maybe it's just me, right? That's a sensitive area that maybe God wants to deal with in my life. So we have this, we have this idea of please don't talk to me about my faults. So, but when we pray this, God reveals our faults. All right, I'll tell you a little story. I didn't tell this the first service because my wife was sitting in the front row and I didn't want to admit this, okay? So, this is, when, when I started in full-time ministry here about three years ago, full-time, not just part-time, and then my wife came on uh, sometime after that to be on staff full-time, and then she became the early childhood director, but that was under me at the time, so I was her supervisor which is a bad idea, right? It's just bad. I mean, it worked fine, there was no problem, but that's short term. And so as soon as Pastor Andrew Davis came on as the youth pastor, I'm like, I think all of the children's ministry should be under him, right? So we got to move Phalia under him, problem solved. Um, so the issue though is that, you know, ladies, how it is when you come home from work, you wanna talk, right? I mean, of course. And what Thalia would like to talk about is what was happening in the early childhood ministry and what maybe improvements needed to be made and what decisions could be made and, and so forth and so on. And I was able at that point to say, well, I'm not your supervisor, honey. You need to ask Pastor Andrew because he's your supervisor. Oh, okay. So that became like a refrain I would use over and over. Oh, ask Pastor Andrew, ask Pastor Andrew. Well, there was this one uh, event that she was trying to organize for a big yard sale to raise money for the nurseries. And she came to me one day, she said, oh, I wanted to ask you about the sale. And I said, ask Pastor Andrew. And she said, at Publix. <laughs> so what I was doing was I was just avoiding conversation with my wife because, and using that as an excuse. It was selfish, I wasn't listening to her. In my mind, I'm thinking to stay out of trouble, but it turned into an excuse just not to listen. That got me into more trouble, I assure you. The sin that this uncovered was that I can fall into this habit of not putting her first, which is what you're supposed to do, right? I need to put her first before me. And so for God to uncover this sin, this fault, it's a blessing. It's a blessing because it leads to improvement. 
Search my heart. I'm just really being transparent today. Sorry, I hope that's okay with you guys. For God to uncover the sin, it is a blessing. Okay, search my heart, reveal my fears, uncover my sins, finally lead me. See if there's any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. So God has revealed these things to me, lack of trust with my children, fear of letting people down, a tendency to put myself first. And at the root of all these things is that I can be more concerned with what people think of me and what this world thinks of me than what God thinks of me. And that has to be dealt with in my life. So now I think we can really finish this prayer with God, lead me, help me. Because we pray this prayer in all of its different parts that we just covered. It leads us to the end of ourselves and it leads us towards Jesus. The prayer points to Jesus every time. It's the, he's the most important thing, he's the most important person. So we've got to stop lying to ourselves because denying the truth doesn't change the facts. And whatever God brings to discovery when you pray this prayer, it reveals your need for Jesus in this area of your life. That's the solution. The solution is Jesus in that area. The time is now for the church to rise up. The time is now for the church to stop praying only safe prayers. It's time to be bold. It's time to pray with fire, to pray these dangerous prayers that make us stronger followers of Jesus because he is here. He's working in our midst. He's coming back for a spotless bride and he desires all to be saved. We're a part of this, but it starts, it starts like praying with fire. So I'd like to invite you to say these two verses together with me as we finish up here, verses 23 and 24, and I'd like to invite you as we repeat them, this is up to you, but to say them as a prayer as we say them. Don't repeat after me, say it with me. Search me, God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. In Jesus' name, in Jesus' name. God is so good. He's so faithful. We can trust him with that kind of prayer. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes for just a moment? Nobody looking around. I think I would be very remiss if in a service like this I did not take the opportunity to give you an opportunity to respond to the Holy Spirit. If you have never given your heart and life over to Jesus, I want to just explain to you what's at stake. We're all sinners, we all are. This is something that is completely universal to humanity. God knew it, God knew it would separate us from him eternally. Knowing that we could not possibly do enough good to earn his favor, because even a speck of sin is like poison to the whole thing. God sent his own son to live a perfect life and to take the penalty that we deserved upon himself and the cross to exchange his perfect life for our flawed lives if we would but call out his name and ask for forgiveness. 
He rose again on the third day to give us this eternal life with the Father. And he offers this as a gift. This is not something that we earn. This is not something we can do enough to earn. He offers it freely as a gift, no matter where we are, no matter what we've done. If we call on his name, if we ask for forgiveness, he is faithful to do just that. And I believe there are people in this room and online right now, the Holy Spirit is tugging at your heart, and maybe he has for some time, saying to you, it's time. It's time to receive this gift. It's time to turn your life over to the one you can trust with it. And if that's you, in just a second here, I'm gonna ask you to slip your hand up in the air so that I can include you in this prayer we're all going to pray. No one's looking around. I'm not gonna call you out. I'm not gonna embarrass you. I'm just gonna ask you to slip your hand up and as soon as I see it, you can put it right back down. One, if you'd like to be included in this prayer, one, two, three. Raise your hand up in the air. Thank you, I see your hand in yours, in yours, in yours. Thank you, yes, in yours, on this side. Yes, in your hand, thank you, I see your hand. And online, there's, there's a button you can press to be included in this prayer or a link you can, you can press. But everyone in this room, for the sake of those that raise their hands today, would you all repeat this prayer after me with them? Father, Father I, come to you I come to you in the name of Jesus. I admit I'm a sinner, but I know you sent your son to die for me, and he rose again on the third day. I ask forgiveness, I call upon your name, and I accept you as my Lord, my Savior, and my God, in Jesus' name. Amen, amen. Can we just praise God for what he's done? It's a big day. You've got some homework tonight. Before you go to sleep, I want you to read those two verses and pray them. Would you stand with me to receive your blessing right now? And if you're online, would you just turn your palms upward in an attitude of receiving, and you can hear too. May the Lord bless you with a trust in your heart to pray that prayer Search me, and may he search you with his love. And may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. Stay safe, everyone. We'll see you next week. Wasn't that an amazing message today on part four of praying with fire? If you made a decision or a rededication, or maybe you need prayer right now, feel free to click the link below, or you can go on our app and request prayer at any time this week. We would love to take some time and pray with you. Also, let's stay connected through the week at our online encouragements on Tuesdays and Thursdays. Well, we will see you back here next week for our Live Again series. You do not want to miss this. Have a great week, Countryside.